What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you to be. If you're a first-time listener, shoot me an email with your feedback from today's episode and or previous episodes as well at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. That's where you can hit me up with future questions. And don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. That way other people can find out about the show. If the show is a gift for you, then potentially it could become a gift for other people as well. On today's show, we're going to talk about a number of topics that are all very difficult. We're going to talk about life after rape. We're going to talk about uh, the devil. And we're also going to talk about communion uh, to unbelievers. And so before we get into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. My glory story this week comes from uh, some time I was given by the Lord to hang out with one of my good friends, Chica. Chica is a a national speaker, and she is just a real gift to the church. I met her a few years ago through Life Team. My buddy, Mark Hart, he's friends with both Chica and, and myself, and so he reached out to both of us and invited us to give a talk together on racism. And from that time that we spent preparing that particular talk at the Life Team Catholic Youth Ministers Conference, her and I became great friends. And so I invited her to come to my parish because uh, on Tuesdays, I think like maybe eight Tuesdays out of the year or something like that, we have what's called uh, Renew You Ladies Nights. And that's where we invite women to come to the parish to speak to the ladies of my parish, to share their testimonies or share something about their walk toward Jesus. Uh, and, and Chica came and she delivered a message that was just totally filled with the Holy Spirit. And so many women afterward gave me so much positive feedback from a presentation. Uh, so many women um, really were able to perceive the voice of Jesus speak through Chica's witness. But it was a gift to have her here because we went on a lot of adventures while she was down here. Uh, I had Jeff Cavins about a month ago, and he and I did a lot of adventures together. So when Chica came down, she and I spent a lot of time at a Carmelite monastery and a Benedictine monastery and an Adoration Chapel in Covington. We had some amazing coffee at this random coffee shop that was about the size of, I don't know, like a kitchen maybe. It was super, super small and a lot of wood. And um, I, she likes her coffee um, like Wesley Snipes. And I like my coffee like Halle Berry. So <laughs> I'm going to see if you could figure that out, what that means. Uh, but yeah, so we had coffee together. We were able to pray together, hang out. She was able to spend a lot of time with the ladies in my parish, we were able to go and visit my godchild who was born while Chica was down here. We had some good Nigerian food, and the whole week was just a total gift. It was a gift, and we finished it off by watching Black Panther with my buddy, Father Brad Doyle. And so that was hilarious as well because it was Father Brad's first time seeing it, and there was a lot of funny commentary that was going on between he and Chica during during that movie. And so it was a great, great, great week. And she got to accompany me when I went to the hospital to to give someone the sacraments who had never received the sacraments. Um, and she was um, and she wasn't doing too well. And so it was a gift to be able to share that moment with Chica as well. So it was a gift from the father. I'm grateful. It was a glory story. I love holy friendships. If you have someone in your life who is holy, who you haven't seen in a while or haven't reached out to in a while, I would encourage you to hit that person up. And to reconnect with that person so that you can help that person and that person can help you grow closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ, today and every day for the rest of your lives and to eternity. 
All right, before we get jumping into today's topics, I have some feedback from previous episodes. The first feedback comes from Vivian. Vivian says this, Dear Father Josh, I don't actually have a question. Just wanted to take a moment and say how awesome your podcast is. My first encounter with you was about a year or two ago. I watched the video you made with Father Mike Schmitz about your journey and his to the priesthood. That was a beautiful story, by the way. Uh, Praise God. Uh, I also remember seeing you at a youth conference. I wasn't there, but was able to live stream it. Yay to technology. So never met you in person, but hopefully someday. Yeah, look, and if we don't meet in person right now, there's always heaven, my friend. There's always heaven. That's why we got to be saints so we can all connect one day. Anyways, back to my note. I was minding my own business on Facebook yesterday when I came across a post from Ascension. After watching that video, I then came across your podcast. Thank God for that. I have to say it was so dope. I loved it. I listened to the podcast, was hooked. Five videos later, I'm still hooked. I'll tell you why your podcast is so amazing. It's true and genuine. You explain the faith in plain talk, and your response is very relatable and practical. It's amazing. It's amazing. Hey. So thank you for that. Now let's talk about your personality. I laughed, I smiled, amened everything. You also sing very well. Whoa, tell my daddy that. See, my daddy tells me I sound like a cow that's being killed um, outside. So every time I sing, he's like, whoa, honey, is somebody killing a cow outside? So let, let my daddy know I can sing. I've always told him at his funeral, I'm going to sing so many songs. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be hilarious if I did that. Thank you for taking the time to make these podcasts. I'm listening to every single one I tell you. We all need all the encouragement on our journey to sainthood. Hopefully I can meet you someday, God willing. Thank you again. I watched Father Mike Schmidt's videos on AP and Bobby and Jackie Angel and the Franciscan Friars, and now you got it so good. Oh, praise God. Those are all really, really good holy people who I'm grateful that we're all walking together toward eternity. I'll stop for now. I just had to let you know I truly enjoy your podcast, keeping you in my prayers for God's continued grace on you and all priests. We need you. The church needs you. Now more than ever, Vivian. Vivian, thank you so much for your prayers. You're right. We do need your prayers. Every single priest needs prayers. We need people who will intentionally pray for us and fast for us and accompany us in our walk toward eternity. I was talking to a brother priest recently, and he was just saying, like, man, people don't realize um, just sometimes how hard it is to be a good holy priest and to try to be a good holy priest. And so, Vivian, whenever I'm able to hear about people like you who are praying for me, I just want you to know I'm super grateful because um, I know it's the prayers of the body of Christ that is sustaining me and that is constantly helping me to turn back to Jesus every time I'm tempted to, to be mediocre and every time I fall into any of my vices, I know it's the prayers of the body that um, God is using to draw me back to uh, discipleship. And so, praise God for you. God bless you, Vivian. Next feedback comes from, it's a long feedback, a fan overseas. A fan overseas says this, Hello, Father Josh. Thank you so much for the gift of your podcast. I found it via the Catholic Feminist podcast interview you did a while back and binged every episode of yours to catch up. I look forward to hearing your voice and your message every week. Your testimonies about adoration, about Jesus in the Eucharist, and about cultivating an intimate relationship with Jesus are especially helpful to me. I have had about 100 questions pop into my head in the last few months and thought perhaps I would share them with you to get your insight. But I'm a busy mama to three active little kids, so I have gotten, haven't gotten around to it yet. However, one of your questions from a few weeks back really struck me, and I feel compelled to offer a bit of feedback for your listeners, so I'll hang on to my question for now. A person who was anonymous wrote in about a family conflict, specifically about a sister-in-law who had grown distant from the family since having kids. 
I thought your advice was spot on. I just wanted to add two more things for Anonymous to consider. The first is to do with the vocation of marriage. When two people get married, their priorities shift. Not that your parents or siblings or other family members are no longer important, but they are not the main focus anymore. It is the role of those other family members to support the husband and wife in their vocation as a married couple. This can be a hard thing for families. My family is very, very close. We don't have a lot of boundaries regarding privacy. We are very comfortable talking about uncomfortable things, and we find it super easy to be vulnerable with one another. My husband does not come from that kind of family and is an extreme introvert. It took a little while for my family to understand and respect this. I found myself having to defend him often and explaining to people that it was nothing personal, but he needs his space. This caused some hurt feelings for some family members, but my duty and obligation was to my husband, not to them. So I had a lot of sympathy for the brother-husband in the story who was being put in a difficult situation between his own mother and his wife. And once we had children, I often had to stand up to vocal, opinionated family members who wanted to tell me how I should be doing things with my babies, which was exhausting and annoying. This leads me to my next point which is that having children is wonderful, but can also be terrifying, stressful, and overwhelming and definitely changes you as a person on a very deep level. I don't know the ins and outs of this person's situation, obviously, but the choice of words that Anonymous used made it sound like the sister-in-law is the problem and is causing the division in the family. My immediate reaction to that letter was compassion and empathy for the sister-in-law. It is possible that she is going through her own struggle and it has nothing to do with the family. It is also possible that this close-knit family has perhaps crossed some boundaries or created a situation where the sister-in-law feels like she needs to stay away because it is best for her and her children. Again, they are the main priority for her now. I guess my main point would be just that there are two sides to every story. In my experience, family division is very rarely because of the behavior of one person. There are usually complex reasons for it. I would just encourage Anonymous to see from his sister-in-law's point of view and to pray for God to reveal any possible issues that the family might need to address to make her feel more welcome and loved. Again, perhaps it really is just her and her own issues. But as followers of Christ, shouldn't we approach conflicts humbly and seek first to understand before making ourselves understood? I am offering prayers for Anonymous and his family today that God, who makes all things new, will send his spirit of love, understanding, and wisdom for this family. Thank you again, Father Josh, for your podcast. I will write again in the future with one of my many questions, a fan overseas. That was some beautiful advice. Thank you for clearly taking time to pray before you wrote that. Cool. All right. On to today's questions. Okay. So our first question... um, is a heavy question, um, and it comes in from a person by the name of Anonymous. And this is a person who I've been praying for um, since I received this question. And this person writes about life after rape. She's, this person says this, Dear Father Josh, hope this email finds you well. Father Josh, I was a practicing, I think Catholic is the next word that was left out, till the 31st of December 2018. And then my life fell apart from that day. Uh, for the past six years, I was performing very well in my career and was supposed to be promoted to an important leadership role. However, I decided that I was not going to carry on and left my job. Within two weeks, I found another stable but different job. I was excited to start my new job, but before that, I decided to go on a solo trip to celebrate my end of the old job and beginning of a new one. I traveled during the Christmas New Year's period and was having a good time in Italy. 
However, my life took a 180-degree turn. After New Year's Eve mass, I met an acquaintance for a drink, but the drink turned it in, into me losing my pride. I was sexually assaulted, and I couldn't help myself. I asked God, then, why did you let this happen to me right after visiting you? I was in pain and felt so ashamed. When I flew back home, I had to start work the very next day. The, the next two months were tumultuous. I could not concentrate at work and was just tired of life. 46 days after the incident, I was faced with the pregnancy scare, and I went for confession. But what the priest told me sat at me because instead of comforting me, he scolded me and said, I should never abort a baby. In my mind, I never had plans for abortion, but I was so scared for the future. I became so depressed that I had to quit my job, and it has been difficult on me because I am financially supporting my aging parents. Father, I know that God did not mean for these things to happen, but somehow my faith is so weak that the only person I take my anger out the most on is God. I stopped going to church because I feel so hurt and ashamed. I was saving myself for marriage and was practicing chastity, but now it's all gone. Father, my question is, why does God let bad things happen to me and so many others? How can I return to our Father again? I know that only God heals, but my faith is so weak now. And please intercede for me, Father. I do want to return home again. Thank you very much, Father. I hope you have a good week ahead. God bless you, Anonymous. God bless you, Anonymous. God bless you, Anonymous. Um, his suffering suffering hurts. Uh, I think that one of the things that I do whenever I'm in a season where I'm really experiencing the pain and I'm experiencing the hurt and I'm experiencing the cross is I reorient my attention to Jesus Christ crucified. I always keep a crucifix near me and I reorient my attention to Jesus Christ crucified because when I look at the cross, what I see is a God who gets me. I see a God who also experienced suffering, a God who is perfect, a God who did not sin against anyone, a God who never, who never spoke an ill word against another person, a God who was patient and who was kind and who was gentle and loving toward everyone who he met and yet and still, this man on the cross, who I worship, Jesus Christ, was rejected and he was betrayed by people he thought he could trust. He was abandoned by people who he leaned into and really shared the deepest secrets of his heart with. He was denied by his best friend. Uh, he was doubted by another one of his very close friends. He was stripped naked, which is like a form of sexual abuse. He was cursed and mocked and made fun of. He was beaten. Uh, even in prayer, I, I, and this is my own personal prayer experience that and I, I can't, I'm not infallible, but I believe that whenever Jesus Christ was going through his passion, whenever he was carrying his cross, that those soldiers not only beat him terribly while he was naked, which is a form of sexual abuse, but they could have even assaulted him sexually in many ways. Um, and in all of that, right, that's, we don't know if that happened or not, but in my prayer experience, that's one thing that I saw one time, which again, I'm not infallible, I could be wrong, but uh, God suffered so much, and and he, he suffered, I think, not only you know for our redemption and everything, but he suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer alone. He knows that you're going to suffer in so many ways, that someone so good like you he knew that people in their free will were going to hurt you, and, and he wanted you to know that you're not alone, my sister, that he is with you, and that he is suffering with you. And I think sometimes what he wants us to do is to, to look at him and his passion and his crucifixion so that we can learn, number one, we're not alone, but number two, our God, Jesus Christ, wants to teach us how to suffer well. 
and he suffered well by in the midst of what he was going through, he continued to, to pray. He continued to talk to his father. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, let this cup pass from me. He continued to con- have a conversation with God the Father. And so I want to encourage you, my sister, that everything that you share with me, please share with God our Father. Please share everything that you've told me to God our Father because he loves you and he wants to hear your voice. He wants to see your face. And then, and then Jesus also, in the midst of his suffering, he focused on other people who were also hurting. He also focused on other people who were hurting. And, and Isaiah says to us, the prophet Isaiah says, if you want your wounds to be quickly healed, he says, go out of yourself and feed those who are hungry and clothe those who are naked. And so what Jesus did on the cross while he was still suffering, the emotional suffering of, of his disciples hurting him and the physical suffering of the people abusing him, he went out of his way for Dismas, who was very scared. Dismas, who could have been almost in a moment of despair, and, and he, he assured him, don't worry, you're going to be with me. I tell you, on this day, you'll be with me in paradise. He saw his mother in her pain watching her son suffer, and she she needed to be comforted. And so he comforted her and gave her John and gave John his mother. He saw these people who were hurting him, and he prayed for their their salvation. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so I, the first thing I just want to encourage you to do, my sister, is just to lean into Jesus on the cross, lean into our Savior who was crucified, but not just to Jesus Christ crucified, but the body of Jesus Christ crucified. You and I, we are members of the body of Christ. You and I are members of the body of Christ, and we have an opportunity to make up for that which is lacking in the body of Christ, right? There are other members of the body of Christ who have also gone through what you have gone through, and they have wisdom to share with you. They want to accompany you. They want to walk with you toward healing. They want to walk with you toward renewal. They want to walk with you right now, my sister, toward Jesus Christ. They want to walk with you toward Jesus. And the saint that kept coming up as I was interceding for you was St. Josephine Bakita because she also was sexually molested, right? She was stripped naked whenever she was sold into slavery and they would look at her body and they would, um, that it just, they, they, they totally took advantage of her. One of her masters was so cruel that uh, she would cut her open and then she would pour salt in her wounds just to see Josephine suffer. Another one of her masters, um, he, he would, um, he would, I guess, I don't know how to even put in the words we did, but essentially he took her by her chest and he would um, attack her so that so she, she would not look beautiful. And in, in, in essence, um, he was so sadistic. He was so harmful to this saint. Um, there are so many saints, my sister, who are with you. There are so many saints who are with you in heaven, but also so many members of the body of Christ who are also with you right now on earth. Who, who want to pray for you and, and, and who wants you to know that you did not do anything to deserve this, um, but that in the midst of this, which has happened to you, um, Jesus is with you. He is so with you. He is so with you. My friend Michelle Benzinger shared a story at one of our ladies' nights that she spoke at a few months ago about a woman who went through a similar situation who, right before her wedding day, um, she was attacked by someone and she was taken advantage of. And um, it really sent her into a downward spiral and deep depression. And as she began to open herself to Jesus again, after, uh, I guess, isolating herself uh, for a while, uh, what happened was is God began to use her greatest wound as her greatest gift to not only the church, but with the world. And so she actually went back to the place where she was taken advantage of and where she was molested. And she bought that building, which was up for sale, and transformed it into a place for women to come who have also been abused. And so what I found in my ministry is that 
Um, God, oftentimes, what he's spoken to me, what I perceive he's spoken to me, because I don't ever want to, again, be infallible, but is, is that he will not let Satan have the final word. What Satan has done to destroy you, what Satan has done to hurt you, what Satan has done to harm you, God will say, you will not have the last word with my beloved daughter. She is mine. She is mine. And I will bring goodness out of the evil that sin has done against you, right? Satan will not destroy you. He has a plan to, to kill and to destroy you. He's a liar. He's a thief. And he's trying to steal something from you that is not his to take. And so God can renew and can, can make something beautiful come out of this great profound evil thing that has happened to you from the enemy. And so I, I just want to encourage you to trust that God has a will for your, your life and he has a plan for your life. And so does Satan. And Satan's plan is, is for you to just to, to walk away from the, the goodness of the Lord. But the Lord's plan is for you to come to him uh, with all of your pain and with all of your suffering and unite your pain and suffering to him on the cross so that he can allow wellsprings of mercy to flow out of your wounds for you. Uh, and, and at some point, eventually also for other people as well, my sister. You are not alone. Father is saying, come. He is saying, come as you are. Come with your questions. Come with your doubts. Come with your concerns. Come with your anger. Come with your frustration. Come with your worry. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. I, and I just want to apologize to you that, on how the priest responded, how the priest jumped to a conclusion. Um, you did not deserve that. Please uh, allow me to do a penance for that priest um, allow me to take on a penance, right, for him, um, the way he hurt you. I, I, I greatly apologize that, that he, he did not just sit with you in your fear and in your concern after what you went through, that you did not deserve any of that, my sister. Um, but Satan would not have the final word. Um, so I want to invite you and encourage you to, to look at Jesus Christ on the cross and then the, to, to come to Jesus Christ again. Come back home. Come to him in the sacramental life of the church and receive the, the, the gifts he has in store for you so that you can not only become the saint you're called to be, but so that in his own will, way, and time, he can help you um, be a bridge for so many other people to become saints too. So you are loved. You are so, so loved. You are so loved. And I am so sorry for what happened to you. Um, and so um, please allow me to intercede, to pray with you, for you, um, and to offer penance for people who have not been helpful for you thus far in your walk toward eternity. God bless you, holy, holy sister in Christ. All right, if y'all have any additional advice or feedback for Anonymous, please hit me up at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. When we come back, we're going to dive into our final two questions about the devil and about Holy Communion for unbelievers. Every one of us is made in the image of God. We are unique, worthy of love, and called to greatness. In this world, though, we can be distracted from that truth and begin to doubt God's love is real. You see, we live in a world that tells us we are not smart, attractive, thin, or rich enough. It is easy to focus on the ways we fall short of worldly perfection and forget that we are already made perfect. We are already enough. I'm Danielle Bean, author of You Are Enough, what women of the Bible teach you about your mission and worth. You Are Enough dives into the stories of women in the Bible so that you can fully see God's plan for your life. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon.
All right, and we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note and send it to me as well. We can play it on a future show. And please rate and review us on iTunes to help other people find out about the gift of the show. All right, our next question comes in from London. London, that is a cool name. Uh, London writes about the devil. Father Josh, I teach second grade. And one of my students brought up a really interesting question. Yo, second graders always bring up good questions. Little kids always do this. And yeah, they stump me a lot. So I feel for you, London. I'm with you. Your second grader asked this question. If God knows all things, then why did he create the devil as his light bearer if he knew that he would disobey him? Thanks, London. Great, great question. So here's the deal. I'm going to start from an analogy then I'm going to get into your question, and then I'll bring it back to the analogy, which I think will make sense once I go into my, my response. So uh, I think most of us, at some point in our life, have disobeyed our parents. Um, in some point of our adolescence, uh, at least by the time we were 10 years old, I'm pretty sure we disobeyed our parents. I'm pretty sure if we have siblings, by the time we're 8 years old, we've had an argument with them. We've been mean to them. We uh, have done something wrong, which is why we go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, typically by the time we're 7 years old in second grade. Now, imagine a parent punishing their two-year-old in anticipation for the disobedience that the two-year-old is going to do whenever they become an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. That, that, that doesn't really sound right, does it? Um, we typically punish people after the offense has been done, after a sin has been committed, not before. So God did create Lucifer, who was an angel of the light, And as an angel, he had free will. And Lucifer used his free will to make himself into the devil by going against the will of God. Uh, The book of Genesis makes it very clear to us that everything God creates is is good. But, But we as humans have now, and angels in the beginning had, what is called free will. Because God loves us, he won't control us. Love does not control Love is free. If God ever controlled us, that would not be love. There are consequences for our choices, but we must be free to make those choices or else God is not loving us well. If God prevented Lucifer from manifesting his free will because he knew Lucifer would choose bad, then that would have been the same thing as not giving Lucifer free will in the first place. Does that make sense? If, If only those who choose to do good are allowed to exist, then there is no freedom. Without freedom, there's no love. And if God didn't allow, if, if God only allowed those who were going to do good to exist, then you would not be hearing this podcast because I mess up every week. Every week I fall short in some way, shape, or form. And I go to confession every week. And so if only those who were going to choose good at all times of the day were allowed to exist, then there would be no ask Father Josh because I'm just as broken as the next person. Um, and so uh, God does not condemn us uh, before we commit sins. Uh, he always gives us as humans an opportunity to repent as well. So now let's go back to the analogy. I'm pretty sure most of us have disobeyed our parents at some point in our adolescence. <laughs> Imagine if a parent punished a child whenever they were two before they committed a sin. They, they were probably going to commit by the time they were 10. That would probably be ridiculous. So we punish people after the sin has been committed, not before. Now let's apply that to God and Lucifer. Hopefully that was helpful for you, London. Uh, Let me know. And finally, on to our final question. It is about communion to unbelievers. This comes from Paul. Paul. Paul says, first of all, 
do you play Fortnite? No, I don't. I did not play Fortnite. I've seen it though. My nephew plays it, and I went to the house blessing recently, and one of the kids was playing it. So I know it's like one of those things that everybody's doing right now. But I, I don't. I just don't. I don't play games right now. Um, but yeah, whatever. On to your question about communion. Hey, Father Josh, sometimes I'm a communion minister at my parish, and often I'm giving the Eucharist to people I know from school. I'm a high schooler. But I know based on conversations I've had with them and knowing them for a long time that many of them do not even believe in God and have perhaps never been to confession, etc. I question if it's right for me to give out the body of Christ to people that I know or not in a state of being able to take it. What is your take on this? So one thing I do, Paul, before like every single funeral um, uh, and, and, and wedding or during the funeral, during the wedding, before communion, I always say something along the lines of our like right now we're about to administer the, the blessed sacrament, like holy communion under the form of the sacred host um, and or the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Um, for those of you who are Catholic and in a state of grace and want to receive communion, we invite you to do so. Um, for those of you who are not Catholic, um, we, we cannot administer Holy Communion to you, but we can, we can pray for you. And so if you would like to receive a prayer from us, I can't give a blessing at that time, but we, we can offer a prayer, which is like a blessing, but it's not a blessing. Um, then you can come forward and I'll say a prayer for you. Um, and so that way they, you know, sometimes it just helps people to not feel excluded totally, right? Um, but it makes it clear, right, like who should be coming to communion. Uh, and so I think uh, with that being said, if if someone were to come to, to my line of Holy Communion, who who I knew, um, who I knew maybe in the, in the community was living in uh, an adulterous relationship, but they came up to receive after they heard me say that, I'm not going to deny them right there in front of everybody, but I will have a conversation with the person after say, hey, like, yo, like, what's up? Uh, what we don't know and we don't ever want to presume is that someone didn't have an opportunity to repent right before they came to communion. We don't know who went to confession, who didn't go to confession, right? So just because someone was living in an adulterous relationship or shacking up with somebody doesn't mean that they have not gone to confession before they came to communion. So just because you know that somebody in your class in your high school doubted God earlier, does not mean that um, they did not go to confession right before that particular Sunday Mass or Saturday Vigil Mass, anticipatory Mass, right? We don't know. And so it's always good to have those conversations before um, Mass and, and after Mass with people just to check on them, say, you know, you, uh, communion is, is really for people who believe in Jesus' true presence and, and who are in a state um, that is ready to receive him. Remember, little kids in second grade go to confession. They make their first reconciliation before they go to their first communion. We should always be in a state of grace. We should always be going to reconciliation before we receive any sacrament, before we receive the sacrament of matrimony, confirmation, holy orders. All right. We should always be in a state of grace to receive the gift that God has in store for us. And so it's always good to have those conversations you know, before Mass and after Mass. If someone clearly came up and they didn't know what they were doing, I would just ask them, are you not Catholic or something like that? And if they said no, I would just say, hey, let, me, let me say a prayer for you real quick, right? Um, but again, we, we don't know. If someone comes up to present themselves for communion, you, it's not, it's not, that's not the time to make the judgment of, all right, let me find out if you went to confession before Mass today, right? That's a conversation for after Mass. Um, that's a conversation before Mass. But uh, at that moment, it's not, it's not the appropriate time to just say, well, I'm going to be the judge of your soul and I'm going to deny your communion. If you are Catholic and you present yourself to receive communion, uh, I'm not going to deny you, right? Because I'm going to assume that you probably did go to confession and repent, right? I've, I've known people who've done that, where it was assumed by many people in the community that they were living in an unhealthy relationship, but turns out they went to confession and they were no longer living together, but they didn't make a big announcement to everybody. Hey, everybody, by the way, guess what? We're not shacking up anymore, right? So we don't know 
someone's soul. And so it's not really my place at that moment to judge. If they know going into mass, what mass is about, what communion is about, and who should receive and who shouldn't receive, um, then then that's on them at that point. But I would still think it's charitable to have a conversation with them after about what Holy Communion is and just to make sure that they know that uh, we should all be in a state of grace uh, whenever we come to receive Holy Communion. But it's not our place to judge who's in a state of grace and who's not at the moment of reception. Hopefully that is helpful. All right, so that's the end of today's show. <laughs> and uh, before we head out, some universal points from today's show. Number one, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Number two, there's always more to the story. And so it's not good for us to um, make assumptions about people based on what we've seen and heard. Uh, There's typically more to the story than we are aware of at times. And number three, uh, let's not condemn people Um, ever, period. But definitely, let's not punish people before an act is committed, right? Let's not punish people because we think they're going to commit an act because of some circumstances, right? We want to give um, judgment on actions after the action has been committed, not before. Uh, So let's go ahead and just pray right now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, you are so, so good. You're so beautiful. You are awesome. You are God. We are not God. But God, we are walking to you and we are being drawn by your grace into you right now, Lord. And we just want to surrender anything that is preventing us right now. We want to surrender anything that we might be holding on to that might be preventing us from from the, the level of intimacy you desire for us right now in this very moment in our walk toward eternity. We really do not know that which is best for us or for other people quite often, but we surrender to you, Jesus, because you do. You are God. You are God, Jesus, and we are not. We are not in control of our destiny. We are not in control of other people's lives. Jesus, we surrender everything to your grace and to your providence and to your mercy and to your love. We surrender everything to you, Jesus trusting that you will bring about a greater good than we could ever imagine for us and for our friends and for our family and for our enemies, Lord Jesus Christ. You can bring about something greater than we can ever even imagine. So even whenever we struggle with doubt and even whenever we look at a situation with our eyes and we say, can anything good come from this situation? Can anything good come from this conversation? Can anything good come from it? Lord, we know that you are God and that you can bring about a great good beyond our wildest dreams, beyond our wildest expectations or our imagination because you are God and we are not. And so we surrender to you, Lord. You have worked miracles. You have walked on water. You have raised the dead. There's nothing that is impossible for you, and we trust that you will bring about a greater good for those who love you, and so we ask that you just give us the grace to not only receive your love, but to love you, to love you, Jesus, today and every single day, to not settle for mediocrity, but to love you with our whole heart and our whole mind, with our whole body, Lord. Give us the grace to love you, Lord, I just perceive right now that there are people listening right now to the podcast who have not been faithful to their commitments to prayer, who have not been faithful to their commitments to intentional time with you. And so I speak a blessing over those people right now. I speak a blessing over them, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are who are companions on this journey toward, toward becoming saints, Lord Jesus Christ. I send forth a blessing upon them right now that they may recommit today to spending more intentional time with you and to not giving into some of those um, other good things that are presenting themselves to them like work and like ministry, but to first and foremost prioritize you you so that we can um, know what your will is and 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 have the freedom and, and, and the uh, I guess just the 
have the ability to, to do your will and um, with your grace, by your grace, and through your grace, Lord Jesus, we we want to do your will. We want to trust that, that your will is better than what our plans could, could ever turn out to be. And the only way we could do that is if we are consistent and intentional in our time with you in prayer. And so we, we surrender right now. We surrender right now to you, Jesus.